There is a name I call in my troubles. There is a word I speak to my fears. There is a power to silence my worries. There we 
Um, we'd love for you to fill out a communication card that's there in the pew rack in front of you and then um, bring it by the connection desk out in the atrium this morning. Or you can just uh, out there too. Uh, we'd love for you to, to do that. Just fill that out, all right? Uh, next thing is that we are still doing our Operation Christmas Child uh, Christmas boxes. And uh, if you have one you've already picked up, you need to make sure that they're here um, by Harvest Banquet Sunday. And uh, I'm trying to remember, what is that? November what? 
20th, November the 20th, Christmas box. So be sure to get them back here. Remember, you can also go online. Uh, you saw it come up there on the, on the screen that uh, that's our website. And if you scroll down, you'll see that you can pack a shoebox online. So you can do it that way. And there's also still shoeboxes out there in the atrium you can pick up and take and pack. All right, next thing. Today is Fall Festival. Everybody excited? Kids, if you're excited, let me hear you. All right. Andy, yes. We love that as parents, right? Yeah. Um, no, seriously. It, at 2 o'clock this afternoon, we're going to begin set up, and we need some uh, strong, able-bodied uh, gentlemen to help us with that. We're going to be getting the grill out and bringing tables out and chairs and uh, just lots of things that need to be moved and lifted and, and carried out. So if you'd be here at 2 o'clock, that would be wonderful. It starts at 4 and uh, if you're one of the people who are doing a trunk or treat, you're bringing your car to do trunk or treat, you know how long it takes you to get your car ready and decorated, so you need to be here um, in plenty of time to get that done, okay? All right, next thing, Seth, we have Wow in the Woodlands. The ladies are going shopping. If you have not signed up for that, you can do that out in the foyer. Get signed up. That's on Thursday, November the 10th. And then the last thing, last week we had Make a Difference Sunday, our second one, and uh, it was really great to have had a number of teams. I think we had almost 20 teams go out visiting and uh, knocked on a lot of doors. But just like we did last time, back in the atrium in the corner, there's a table that has prayer requests and it, all, and it has postcards attached to it. We'd love for you to take one of those after the service. Just take a moment to take that, pray for that request, and write a note on that postcard. And then you can just leave it there on the table, leave it in the bucket that's there. And we will take those and drop those in the mail this week for you, okay? So you don't have to take it and mail it yourself. We will do that. I will tell you that uh, one of the prayer requests that, were, that was given last time um, was uh, a co-worker of somebody. And it was reported to me that that person said, you know what? I got a postcard from your church in the mail that they had prayed for me. And I really appreciated that. So... It's really appreciated. Just take the time just to step back there to that table that's in the corner of the atrium. Pray for the person. Write it on the postcard and then drop it in the box. Boy, it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Let's continue worshiping our Savior. I need thee every hour.
Let's read some scripture together. Go ahead and throw it up there, if you would, Seth. It comes out of Romans chapter 3. Let's all say it together. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, let's stand and read it. Let's start again. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. They are justified freely, freely by His grace. That grace, that undeserved favor, it's amazing what God has done for us. Let's sing about that grace this morning.
You are the Holy One, the Righteous One, the only one that is worthy of praise. And as we've lifted our hearts to magnify you here today, I pray that you receive that praise. It's been honoring to you, that it's glorified your name. And God, now as your word is open and is preached and proclaimed, dear Heavenly Father, we humbly submit ourselves to follow after you in what you're calling us to do. May we truly, truly surrender ourselves right here in this moment. Because you are the only one that's worthy of praise. You are the only one that's worthy to follow. May Jesus be magnified here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Wise guy, huh? All right, wise guy. You lead the way. Oh, a wise guy, huh? Not sure where that came from. <laughs> Family resemblance. We've been in a study of the book of James, who is the younger brother of the Lord, and he has been writing to us, going through a checklist of issues that churches need to address. This morning, we come to the issue of wisdom. Truth is, we're all wise guys. The only question is, which kind? 
It's been noted that there are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who believe there are only two kinds of people in the world and those who don't. Today, we ask ourselves, which kind of wise guy am I? As James writes, he's going to remind us that there are only two kinds of wisdom, godly wisdom and ungodly wisdom. He's doubling back to an issue that he started back in the first chapter, verse 5, when he said, if you lack wisdom, pray to God, ask him, and he will give it to you generously. And now he's noting in the third chapter of James that there are only two kinds of wisdom. Let's read it together in James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. God, as we look at your word today, we're reminded of its relevance. Here we stand, thousands of years removed from when it was first penned, but we recognize how important, relevant, significant it is for us today. Lord, we know that your word is living and active, and we pray that even now you would cause it to be so in each one of our lives. It is true that it is, but we can have hearts of resistance that keep it from being everything that you want it to be. We pray that you now would take your word and deliver it for the purpose that you have created it in each of our lives. In your name we ask. Amen. James starts off with a question which reminds us that Jesus was his brother because Jesus began his teaching so oftentimes with questions. In fact, Jesus asked over 300 questions and only answered three questions that were given to him. And as James continues to teach, he's reminded that there are false teachers in the church. We talked about that last week. And those false teachers have also brought in this idea that they have superior wisdom to everyone else. And James is teaching on integrity. What is integrity? It is for all of our life to match up consistently. And he's saying as Christians, all of our life, what is on the inside should match up with the outside. What's on the outside should match up with what is on the inside. Because as Jesus said, everything is the outflow of our heart. When he's talking about wisdom, he's not talking about some kind of superior knowledge or insider kind of information. We would all love that in life, but he's not talking about that. It's the ability to act and react in a Christ-like manner, in a godly manner to every situation in our life, to bring the Lordship of Jesus Christ into play no matter what situation we are faced with. It reminds us of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in which Paul was writing, and he's talking about how that they are preaching the foolishness of the cross. Now, the cross is not foolish, but it's foolish to those who are perishing. And he said this, God speaking, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul concurs with James who were colleagues, collaborated together, that there are only two kinds of wisdom in life. 
Godly wisdom, ungodly wisdom. The question for us today, which one do we have? Which one are we putting into play in our lives? Let's first of all look at ungodly wisdom. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. We go back, listen to the ungodly wisdom. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it. That's false truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. See, the world defines wisdom as intellect, status, power, or wealth. We think of somebody that has prestige or position. We think that they are wise. When Frank Blake became the CEO of Home Depot back in 2007, he rose from a position in which not as many people knew him, but a very wise friend told him, Frank, all of a sudden your jokes are going to become funnier. When you're the boss, everybody laughs at your jokes regardless of whether or not they're funny. That's the way the world operates. It's based upon prestige and power and position. See, these particular people in the, the, the church in which James was writing, and these, again, are scattered Christians who had left Jerusalem under persecution, and he's writing to them, and they imagined that they had superior insights to those who disagreed with them. Does that sound familiar today? If you disagree with me, somehow your intellect is inferior to mine. They boasted of power. That's what the world does. But that's incongruent with godly wisdom. The one with the most wisdom of all, Jesus Christ. And what did he say of himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine? 29? I am meek and lowly in heart. See, ungodly wisdom is radically evil. It's orchestrated by the devil. And it's endorsed by him. You see, all of these political ads going on, and at the end of each political ad, the candidate says, this is endorsed by, and gives them name. Ungodly wisdom. Whenever you see it, at the end, there's an endorsement from Satan. I endorse this kind of wisdom. It's the antithesis of everything related to God. It's driven by selfish ambition, that desire for immediate gratification. It's the worldly perspective. Remember in Ecclesiastes, when Solomon was talking about everything under the sun? That was his perspective. He, he had jettisoned all the wisdom that he had gained, and he looked at everything under the sun. He could only see this way, not this way. That's what ungodly wisdom is. It's the loss of the eternal perspective. You think of Jesus' parable about the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. Let's read it together. Jesus told a parable saying, "'The land of a rich man produced plentiful.'" And he thought to himself, what in the world shall I do? I have nowhere to store all of my crops. So he said to himself, I'll tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain, all of my goods, and I will say to my soul, oh soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And what did God say to that kind of wisdom? You fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. We've seen that played out in all situations, haven't we? We think about the disciples arguing over the hierarchy of greatness after they had followed Jesus for almost three years. They had envy. What is envy? Envy and jealousy is wanting someone else to be as miserable as you are. 
Isn't that true? Think of Cain and Abel. Cain wanted Abel to be as miserable as he was. You think about Saul and David. Saul wanted David to be as miserable as he was. You think about Joseph and his brothers. The brothers wanted Joseph to be as miserable as they were. See, ungodly wisdom never leads in a good direction. All that is talked about there, selfishness, jealousy, and we'll see the harvest of, of where that leads. Think back in World War II, military came up with a word. You've used it before. Have you ever used the word, that's a big snafu? Did you know that snafu, I didn't know this until this week, snafu is an acronym from the military created back in World War II. It's an acronym that means situation normal, all fouled up. That's what that word means. That's what ungodly wisdom is. It is all fouled up. They came up with a later term. Uh, it's called FUB, fouled up beyond belief. That's where ungodly wisdom takes us. It takes us to be completely fouled up beyond belief. We become so isolated in ourselves. H.G. Wells wrote about Napoleon. Toward the end of his life, he said, he stood at last for nothing but himself. Ungodly wisdom, as we will see, destroys community. And it's the natural condition of our heart. You see, you don't have to go to school to gain ungodly wisdom. You don't have to have a lot of practical experience to gain ungodly wisdom. We all naturally have it. It's the natural condition that we are before our relationship with Christ. This is a common theme, and, and, and our culture so needs to hear that. We all need to hear that, because it's a common theme that Paul wrote about in his letters. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, it's one of my favorite verses because Paul is talking about all this carnage that they see out in culture. And he says, that's just the way we used to be before Christ. The message that the world needs to hear today is you can change. You don't have to be chained to your sin forever. You can change and be released and be free. He would say the same thing in Colossians chapter 3, verse 7, and this week as we're reading through the Bible, Titus chapter 3, verse 3. But that's what we are before Christ, but we can be released from that. Ungodly wisdom believes that it is more important to be in love with our ideas than in love with the Lord. Have you ever done that in a relationship? You knew, you knew flat out that you were wrong. But you were more in love with your idea and holding to that than being right in right relationship. And what happens with ungodly wisdom, it does destroy relationships and puts us into isolation. So he says, don't have ungodly wisdom if you're a follower of Christ. That's what you naturally have. We all have that. But Christ can give us godly wisdom. Go back to verse 17. But the wisdom from above. Again, what, what he's telling us there is this is not wisdom that you're naturally going to get. It's not like you can be a 60-year-old man and say, oh, listen to all the wisdom that I've gained through my life. It doesn't mean that you have godly wisdom, no matter how old you are. It's to say that godly wisdom is from above. It's not intellectual achievement. It's not practical experience. But it's about being with God. That's where godly wisdom comes from. It comes from being in the very presence of God. It's to have that eternal perspective, to recognize that this is not all there is. See, when ungodly wisdom rises to the forefront, 
We find ourselves at a crossroads, and we know that in this moment, I must decide what is best for me instead of looking at the big picture of the eternal perspective. One of the best questions we can ask is, what am I going to think about this decision 150 years from now? 150 years from now, how am I going to look at this decision that I'm making now? Wisdom is from above. It's found in Christ. Paul would write about that. Paul was away from Christ, and he had his Damascus Road experience, and everything changed. And 161 different times in his letters, he would write about that term of in Christ. It is in Christ that we find our wisdom, because he is the very wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. So if we are in him, and his wisdom is in us, then we have the wisdom of God. We have godly wisdom. But here's the thing. Like a bucket in a well or water in a well, it must be drawn out. And the wisdom inside of us must be drawn out by the bucket of humble dependence on God. It won't just naturally flow from us. It flows from the dependence that we have upon God. It goes back to the wisdom of Solomon, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as as James begins to write about this godly wisdom, we see that relationship. You know, we call the the sermon series, it's called Family Resemblance, in which James is, he is a sibling of Jesus, a half-brother of Jesus, younger brother. And he didn't resemble Christ at all until he saw Jesus after the resurrection, and then he spent the balance of his life trying to resemble his Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And we're all called to do the same thing. And so as James thinks back over Jesus, and and as he was walking around and seeing what Jesus was doing all throughout his life, before he became a follower, he goes back and he thinks about that time in which he was standing on the perimeter of the crowd listening to Jesus give the Sermon on the Mount. And James seems to be utilizing the Beatitudes as he talks about godly wisdom, like they're a benchmark for godly wisdom. Eight different characteristics, very similar to the Beatitudes. He says, first of all, this kind of wisdom is pure. And when he says first, it means it's first of an importance. It has to be pure. It's just like water. I mean, what can you do with water that's not pure? I mean, the very first thing you need, no matter what you're doing, whether you're drinking it, cooking it, whatever you're using water for, the very first thing you need for it to be is what? Pure. And then you can use it for a litany of different things. Same way with wisdom. The very first of importance is that it's pure. That's the same word that John would use in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, to describe Jesus, the purity of godliness. So what does it mean to have godly wisdom? It means to have Christ's likeness, to be like Christ. You see, that's the idea, is that God wants us to be like Christ in every situation that we go, not just here, But I'm not even sure we're Christ-like in this room sometimes. I don't mean that in a mean way, but, you know, there's so many different things that are going through our mind here. And the idea is that wisdom carries the embodiment of Christ wherever we are, regardless of the circumstances around us. It's to have that unmixed devotion, that concentration upon that, that, that wisdom of God, the focus upon God. It's like the Astros focusing on the ball and the Yankees not. That's the difference, is to have that kind of focus on God. That's your primary focus. It's your dominant 
focuses God. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus said. Why? Because they will see God. It goes on to say, it's peaceable. Now, he's not simply talking about the placating type of peace, that I'm just going to do whatever to bring peace into the situation. It reminds me of a man who was asked about the secret of the success when they were celebrating their 50th anniversary. The guy explained, we decided a long time ago, early in our marriage, that whenever she was frustrated and had something that bothered her and she was angry with me, that she would give full vent to her frustration toward me. And we agreed that whenever I was frustrated with her and angry with her, I would take a long walk outside. So the secret of our marriage has been that I have lived primarily outdoors for most of our marriage. (laughs) See, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about shalom, not the peace like the world gives, but the peace that God gives. It's to be conform to the very image of Christ, like Paul would write about in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The world's wisdom wants us to be conformed to its image, and it wants power and control to be what dominates us into submission. Talking about peace here, it's the, it's the pattern of restraint in the midst of turbulence. That eagerness to maintain and find peace Paul would talk about it in Romans chapter 12 and Romans chapter 14. As far as it's up to you, be at peace with all people. Do everything within your power to bring about this peaceful situation. That's godly wisdom. It's to look at a very chaotic, difficult situation and find a way to bring order and peace to the chaos. We all know what it is to have chaos in the middle of a bad situation, but how do you bring order and peace into it? That's what godly wisdom does. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called the sons of God. James seems to be just reading off the notes that he jotted down from the Sermon on the Mount. It's not the peace at the expense of truth. We see that in our culture, right? Just go along so we can get along. Let's jettison the truth so we all can live at peace. It's not peace at the expense of truth, but it's the peace that rejoices in the truth, as Paul would write about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because it knows the truth will what? The truth will, what will it do for us, church? The truth will set us free. Not ungodly wisdom, but godly wisdom will set us free through Christ. It goes on to say to be gentle. That word gentle means to go beyond the written law, to do more than is required. Sometimes we feel like we come in, you know, I've I've drawn the line in the sand, I'm not going to go any further. But gentleness says that I will go even beyond that. Blessed are the meek, for they shall what? Inherit the earth, that Jesus would say. See, Christianity turned a vice into a virtue. To be meek in the culture to which James was writing was a weakness. It was to be there's something wrong with you if you're meek. It's like you're a coward. But the word you've heard so many times explained before, it The word meek is describing an animal that has been tamed, an animal that still has all of its strength and energy, yet it's harnessed. Oh, how we need that today. Strength that is harnessed for good. Mercy is compassion in action. Hear those words again. Mercy is compassion in action. It's not pity from a distance. 
We can look at situations all around us and have pity and feel bad about situations. But mercy is compassion in action, not pity from a distance. If we lack good works, we can be certain we are not wise. We think of somebody being wise as someone that's sitting in a prominent position, espousing all kinds of interesting things. But wisdom is putting Christ's likeness into action. How do we get that? We get that through Scripture. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom. Wisdom comes from Scripture. It's promised of God. Just previous chapter, chapter 1, verse 5, if you need godly wisdom, ask of God. The question reminds us today is, how much time am I spending in Scripture? Keith Parks was a former president of the International Mission Board. When he was a missionary long before that, he went to a very remote village, and he was sharing with those who had never heard of Christ, and several became believers in Jesus Christ. But he was concerned because he knew that he wouldn't be back for over a year. And he wondered, what is going to happen to those believers? Will they even survive? Will they abandon? He came back over a year later. And to his pleasant surprise, he discovered that there were two thriving churches. And he wondered, and as he talked to a particular lady who had been teaching people the Bible, she said, this is, this is what she said of the Bible. It's as if I have a little Jesus in my heart who teaches me and tells me what to say. That's what the Bible is. It teaches us and shows us what to say and how to act and how to react in situation. If you're reading through the Bible, today's reading, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, talks about Scripture guiding us and equipping us for every good work. For wisdom to be played out, we must be equipped to do every good work. James continues on talking about godly wisdom, that it's open. What does that mean? It means it's reasonable. It's willing to hear the other side vet through to discover what the truth is, the possibility that maybe what I know or have is not exactly the truth. Abraham Lincoln was a, a master of this. On one particular occasion, Secretary of War Edwin Stanton called Lincoln an absolute fool. People confronted Lincoln about what he was going to do, and he said this, if Stanton said I'm a fool, then I must be. For he's nearly always right. I'll see for myself. They met together, and Lincoln changed his mind because he realized that what he was doing was not wise. That's the type of wisdom that we're talking about here. It goes on to say it's impartial. We talked about that previously, the first part of chapter 2, not showing favoritism. It's sincere. We've heard that term so many times. It's a picture of actors putting on a mask. You know, I, I'm always intrigued. Actors intrigue me. You know, you see them in a movie, and you think, I, I, I think we could spend some time together. I really like the way they are. And then you see them in another movie. It's like, I don't think we would be friends at all. And they're portraying different things. And what James is saying is, is don't be like that. Be consistent where you're not just changing masks from one situation to the other, whether it's work or school or at home, but you are consistent in the way that you behave. You see, what James wants us to know, to be reminded of, that both kinds of wisdom, ungodly and ungodly, they both produce 
a harvest. Look at the harvest that they produce. Verse 16, this is ungodly wisdom. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Ungodly wisdom is spilled W-I-S-D-U-M-B. Write it down. Ungodly wisdom is dumb. We see that in leadership today. We see it in our own lives even. So oftentimes, leaders will take a position that's expedient to them. And so many are looking from the outside saying, that is not a smart move. You think about our culture even now. We have the opportunity to go to the polls and friends, I'm going to make somebody mad by the, what I'm going to say in the next couple of minutes because I want us to stand where God would want us to stand. We have moved to the point, as some have said, we have made politics a new religion. And that is a dangerous place to be. Yet we've also, on the other extreme, extricated ourselves completely from the process. And we as Christians need to find the proper balance in which we are bringing godly wisdom to the table for the well-being of all people. At the core of our cultural crisis is ungodly wisdom. It is casting confusion over three, fund, three fundamental issues of life. When you are confused about marriage, pregnancy, and gender, you know disaster is going to follow. And we as godly people, as the church, need to bring godly wisdom into the conversation. We don't need to throw rocks from afar. We need to bring godly wisdom just as it is spoken of that kind of wisdom in conversation to try to help people see what God's word has to say. I hope that you do go and vote, and I hope that you vote with godly wisdom, because when you think about these particular issues that are front and center, in which we are confused about marriage and pregnancy and gender, if you were to take that same confusion and cart a million people off to an isolated island somewhere and came back a hundred years from now, what would you have? Absolutely nothing. It would implode upon itself. Yet we're trying to force that into a relatively stable culture today and say, this will make us better. No, it will not. It is wisdom. The only way this mess, friends, hear this now. The only way this mess will be redeemed is through the transformation that comes from Jesus Christ. Yes, you should vote. Shame on you if you don't. But the only way that redemption will come is through the transformation of Jesus Christ. And that is the message that the church has been given to give to the culture. Salt and light. Are we being salt and light to the culture? And we need to recognize that ungodly wisdom can be expressed even in ways that we think are for good causes. And Charles Swindoll talked about that in the 1950s. He was working his way through school. He was a Christian. He was a very... A strong, zealous believer in Christ. And he was working at a mechanic shop. And this other guy was following a denomination that was riddled with error. Swindoll's brilliant. He knew all of the right answers and all the reasons. And he said that he hammered away on this guy day after day after day as they worked together. 
trying to show him that he was in the air. He was wrong. One day, after doing this for a long period of time, this guy responded to him, and listen to this reply. This is what he said. He grabbed him by the arm, grabbed Swindoll by the arm. He said, listen to me. You've convinced me by the facts that I'm wrong, but I will never change because I can't stand you. You see, you can be laboring for the right cause and do it in the wrong way and have equally disastrous results. Results. That's why Swindoll would say, if you claim to have wisdom like you should, why do you live like you shouldn't? That's what James is asking. So we come down to the question, which kind of wisdom are we sowing? There's only two kinds. There's not a third option. It's ungodly wisdom or godly wisdom. Which kind are we sowing into our lives, into the culture, into our families, into our churches, godly or, wisdom, or ungodly? Just like Solomon, who wrote a thousand years before James, he understood that his wisdom was not of his own making. It came from God, and the same is true today. Godly wisdom will not be from us among ourselves. It will come from God working through us. Maybe we need an audit of our heart. What James offers all throughout this book is an invitation to repent, to change, to adjust the way that we are living our lives. I read something that was very uh, potent to me. It's called The Valley of Vision, a collection of Puritan prayers and devotions. And one of the Puritans writing in there made this statement, I need to repent of my repentance. And he's not trying to be funny. He's like, I'm not sure that I'm repenting the way that I need to be repenting of truly being remorseful for my sin and truly turning away from my sin and not just saying, God, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to continue in that direction, but truly to repent, to have renewed reliance. Some of us need to repent of our self-reliance. Uh, if, if I ever ask you if there's anything I can pray for you about, don't tell me you're good because that says you are completely self-reliant. Just lie to me if you need to. But man, if you ask me, pray, oh man, give me godly wisdom. I'm as dumb as a stump. Give me godly wisdom to know how to bring the Lordship of Jesus Christ into every situation. And maybe we need to repent of our self-reliance and give renewed reliance on Christ who can make us whole, does make us whole through Christ. God loves us. He's created every one of us to have a relationship with him. But because of the ungodly wisdom, the sinfulness in our life, we are forever separated from the godly wisdom of God. Only Christ can make us right, and thankfully, he can. Here's the message. We can be changed for eternity. Don't you want to be changed? I need some confidence there. Don't you want to be changed? Are you, are you there? I know I'm not. We can be changed for eternity by humbly repenting of our sins and fully surrendering our life to Jesus Christ. Some of you that are guests with us, or maybe you've been here for a while, maybe you're not yet a Christian. I'm going to lead us in a prayer in just a moment. And, and it's not a magical prayer. It's, just, it's, a, it's a heart cry to say, this is the desire of my heart. And you can pray a prayer similar to this and begin a relationship with Christ. It is not the end game. It is the beginning of the relationship with Christ. And for those of us as Christians, maybe we just need to say, I think I've been following some ungodly wisdom instead of pursuing the godly wisdom that comes from a relationship with Christ. Maybe, maybe we've been squandering the gift of Scripture 
that fills us and speaks to us, just like that, that lady uh, out in a remote village said, is God speaking to me and telling me what to say and to do? So let's pray and ask God to speak into our lives the way that he desires. Lord, we thank you for your word that is filled with such relevance for our lives. I pray, Lord, that we have found some level of conviction from what we have seen in your word today. Lord, we know that if we come to worship and leave no different than we came, something is wrong with us. Maybe we need to repent of our repentance. Maybe we need to move into a relationship with you. And Lord, if there are anyone, anyone here listening in this room or online that has never begun a relationship with you, I pray that they would voice a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. God, we recognize that there's no better way that we could live our lives than being fully surrendered to you. From the ungodly wisdom, that sounds like we are giving up our one and only opportunity to experience life. But just as we have seen here today, you want to give us shalom, which is life as you have intended. May we fully surrender ourselves to you and to what you want to bring into our lives. And Lord, we pray that you would use us as a church to be the disseminators of godly wisdom into a culture that is desperately looking for it in all the wrong places. May we be that guide. May we be that lighthouse. It doesn't scream. It simply stands tall with the light, inviting people to follow after you. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. If you feel like you need to make a decision, uh, follow through on your decision to follow Christ, maybe to join this church, maybe to be baptized. Maybe that's the next step you need to take. Someone to pray with you. Maybe you want someone to pray with you to say, I need to repent of my repentance. Our deacons of the month, the triads, will be in the end of each one of these aisles. Guys, if you don't see anybody moving there as deacons, just make sure that you and your wife are at the end of the aisle. Uh, even now as I speak, just go ahead and start making your way back there. And you can go, and these guys will pray with you, and I'll be standing over at the cross. Let's stand together, let's worship, and let's respond as God leads us.
with all creation I sing praise to the King of Kings you are my everything and I will adore you Children's Choir, you're meeting today, so you can begin to make your way into the choir room. Have a great day. See you back this afternoon. We need muscle at 2 o'clock to move things.